And here I'm working with half a dozen seniors. Everybody's living in their own home. Everybody is beginning to lose cognitive skills to dementia. And I didn't see anybody going crazy. Hmm. I didn't see anybody becoming irrational or out of control. What I could see was that each of these people was losing very specific skills and in, in finding themselves unable to do things they'd been able to do their whole lives, they were having emotional reactions. And essentially, they were just having our, the typical human's stress responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the show. Today, we're exploring a radically different approach to dementia care, which can help people remain in their own homes for longer. Judy Cornish is the creator of the Dawn Method, and she joins us for a fun and fascinating conversation about how she came into dementia care with no prior experience and developed a way to embrace the strengths and avoid the weaknesses of people living with dementia. Judy's model leverages the highly developed intuitive skills of people living with dementia and encourages carers and families to communicate in ways that don't depend on the often diminishing rational skills, which she explains in quite a bit more detail throughout the episode. If you want to learn more about Judy's wonderful work after this interview, which I think you will, she has two books available online, The Dementia Handbook and Dementia with Dignity, that you can check out. With this conversation, we got straight into it even before I hit record, so it starts a bit abruptly, but you'll pick it up. So I hope you enjoy the interview with Judy Cornish. Back when I got involved with dementia care back in 2010, quite accidentally, really. Hmm, How did you get involved? (laughs) So I was practicing law in Oregon, in the Mm -hmm. capital city, or, or in the largest city, Portland. And I'd been practicing law about a decade, and I wanted to find a quieter place to live. And so it took me a little while, and I I ended up in Moscow, Idaho, about 20,000 people. And it's Mm. uh, very remote. It's very isolated. It's in the Palouse region, which is dry land wheat farming. But there's two universities, and so it's a very sophisticated population and diverse lots of a really strong international presence and connections quite a few of the aid corporations and aid nonprofits originated with the university of idaho and washington state university is the other one that's just six miles away and so i landed there thinking i'd practice law part-time and be pretty much retired you know maybe 10 20 hours a month elder law you know, settle estates, do a few wills. And I got started to get to know a neighbor. And one of the first things she told me was, I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So the thing I'm the best at is forgetting. And I'm sure I'll forget your name. (laughs) And I told her, it doesn't matter. I know my name. So, uh, you know, I'll make sure that we know who we are. 
And so I was getting to know her over her tomato plants in the front yard. And her daughter came to visit and came over and said, mom keeps losing the car. We're going to have to put her in a care facility. And what little I had seen of care facilities before I'd gone to law school, that was the last thing I would want to happen to this you know, lovely woman in her mid-60s. Mm. And so I said, oh, don't do that. I'll help. <laughs> I just volunteered. She needs groceries. We'll go buy groceries together. She wants to go swimming in the mornings. That's okay. You know, I'm an early riser. I'll take her swimming. Mm. And within a couple of weeks, I had, it's a small town. So I would get phone calls and somebody would say, hey, I hear you're looking after so-and-so's mom. Could you check in on my dad? He's living at home alone and he's getting a little forgetful. So I think it was within two months, I realized I'd started a dementia care business. And so I Googled business plan and filled it out and thought, okay, well, I guess I started a business. But by that point, I needed to hire people to work with me. It was, you know, I don't have a medical background at all. Mm. You know, my background is law. And before I went to law school, I worked for a year as a psychosocial skills trainer with the mentally ill. Uh, I spent a year working in voc rehab, running a business for my father when he got sick. And I've worked all kinds of jobs, everything I can think of. But not having a medical background, I think that really helped. But the one decision I made when I did find myself working with dementia was that I wasn't going to read any books. I didn't want to know anything about what America considered dementia care due to what I'd seen in a care facility before I went to law school. That's pretty radical. It, well, it's the principle of context. Ellen Langer, she's known as the mother of mindfulness. She was a, a professor at Harvard. And there is now Langer Institutes of Mindfulness uh, Research Institutes all over the world. And she'd written a book called Mindfulness, which is really about aging back in the 80s. And when I'd read that book, it really had a, made an impression on me. And she talked about avoiding context if you wanted to be able to solve a problem and see it in a new light so that you'd be able to see all the possible solutions, mm. not just those that had already shaped the way people look at the problem. And so really that encapsulates what I do with Dawn and what I did. I decided I didn't want to read anything. I didn't want to look at anything. I wasn't going to go to, you know, go to school and learn about American dementia care. I was going to spend all of my time with people who were living at home experiencing dementia. And they would teach me. And boy, right from the beginning, I could see it's all I had heard about dementia from when I was working as a psychosocial skills trainer was that people would go crazy and you'd need to lock them up and then you'd need to give them psychotropic drugs so that you could keep them calm. And here I'm working with half a dozen seniors Everybody's living in their own home. Everybody is beginning to lose cognitive skills to dementia. And I didn't see anybody going crazy. Hmm. I didn't see anybody becoming irrational or out of control. What I could see was that each of these people was losing very specific skills 
And in, in finding themselves unable to do things they'd been able to do their whole lives, they were having emotional reactions. And essentially, they were just having our, the typical human stress responses. Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And that's those, those responses. I mean, when you look at what dementia behaviors are defined as, these dementia-related behaviors are, are considered from the medical perspective, those are considered the symptoms of dementia. Right. And when you look at that list, you know, there's, what is it? It's wandering, exit-seeking, sundowning, restlessness, combative behaviors. All of these behaviors... I raised kids, and every one of my kids displayed restlessness, exit-seeking, sundowning, combative behaviors whenever they were stressed. Mm. And, you know, you think about those behaviors, and any of us, any age, any time a human being is under stress, they respond in those ways. So it's got nothing to do with dementia. It has everything to do with human beings who are finding themselves in situations that they they used to be able to handle and now they can't. So so to me, what and what kept me involved, you know, I never did go back to law. And I spent the first year with all my neighbors trying to get a just trying to put my finger on it, trying to identify what it was, because I knew I recognized what they were experiencing from something I had previously experienced. And finally, I think it took me a couple of months, but finally I realized when, when I went to law school, and I ended up in law school on very short notice, and it wasn't my first choice, a master's program. Actually, I was going to lose a scholarship, and I had, and I ended up in law school in, on three weeks notice. <laughs> it's like the worst <laughs> possible reason to go to law school. <laughs> and I really wanted to be a, a language professor when I grew up. And so all of my, my training up to that point was art, language, language acquisition, literature, dispository writing, you know, the, these kinds of areas. Yeah, yeah. And, and on three weeks notice, I'm in law school. And it was the most miserable life, year of my life because I was very adept at using my intuitive thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And I was not adept at all. I didn't enjoy using rational thinking skills. Right. And law school is where they, <laughs> you know, intuitive thinking is not allowed. It's, you won't get any. rational thinking. Yeah, it's rational thinking. Everything is just identify the facts, um, identify the law, apply the law to the facts, you get your result. So, so it took me a couple of months, and then I realized, wait a minute, everybody here, and it didn't matter who I was working with, you know, my neighbor, the first woman, she was an artist and a housewife. One of my next clients, the next one I took on, was a world-famous CEO and scientist from University of Idaho. You know, I ended up with ranchers, business people, all kinds of different people. And, and it, didn't, it didn't matter what type of dementia they were experiencing, and it didn't matter what their personality or their earlier life experiences were. They were keeping intuitive thinking skills and losing rational thinking skills and were finding themselves constantly frustrated and embarrassed. And so they were exhibiting stress behaviors mm. like, you know, 
combative behavior. Well, I never saw combative behavior because I clued in quick enough that then I began trying to trying to manage situations so that they wouldn't get embarrassed and they wouldn't be frustrated. And so what that meant was that I then would be using my own memory skills and my own rational thinking skills on behalf of each of my clients. Can I jump in here, Judy? Can, can you explain maybe give some examples of the intuitive skills that these people you're working with retained? Yeah, yeah, sure. So we have two sets of thinking skills, intuitive thinking skills, rational thinking skills. And this is, boy, if you want to deep dive into the neurology, Ian McGilchrist is the man to read. For a lighter, easier read, you go to Daniel Kahneman. Um, thinking fast and slow is his book. But mm -hmm. our intuitive thinking skills are our inductive thinking skills. They're the primary set. And essentially, your intuitive thinking skills are constantly gathering everything your senses bring to you. So this is all of your sensory stimuli, everything that you see, hear, taste, touch, or smell. And then in addition to that, with your intuitive thinking skills, you're also reading everybody's emotions constantly through reading nonverbal communication. That's, that's another skill that, that your intuitive thinking skills is supporting. Right. Experiential learning. That comes from, and that's part of your intuitive thinking skills. Reading other people's feelings, experiencing your own feelings, receiving all the sensory stimuli. You know, these are really the gifts of dementia, the strengths, mm. is that at all times, and actually the framework is a little more complicated because we not only are losing those rational thinking skills and keeping the intuitive thinking skills, we're also losing the remembering self and keeping the experiential self. So, so if we're thinking just about our skill, our thinking skill sets, then I keep my ability to feel my own emotions, joy, happiness, pain, sorrow, anything at all, I'm fully equipped to experience. I'm reading my companions' emotions really adeptly, and I'm getting better at it all the time. Hmm. The trouble is, along, and I'm, and I'm receiving all the sensory stimuli, but the problem is I'm losing my rational thinking skills, and those are the tools. That's, those are the deductive thinking skills, not inductive. And deductive means I'm able to interpret and understand why. And I'm able to interpret not only the sensory stimuli that I receive, but I'm also able to interpret other people's emotions, meaning I'm understanding why. And I lose that with my rational thinking skills. Right. So what we end up having is the individual who's experiencing dementia will be fully able to enjoy all the positive emotions and all the beauty, all, all things beautiful to that person through sensory stimuli. But in losing rational thinking, it is the ability to initiate or pursue or plan to do it for themselves. Mm, okay. And so this is, you know, and, and once we understand this as their companions, then it's like, you realize that a person who is losing rational thinking is losing the ability to transport themselves into the future. They can no longer plan or anticipate. They can't use compare, they can't compare things. Like you're telling me I'm wrong about what's happening right now, but I think this is true and you think that is true. Therefore I can compare and see whose reality is accurate. 
Somebody experiencing dementia can't do that. Mm -hmm. That takes rational thinking. Or, you know, we think, oh, you don't understand why you need to get ready to leave the house right now to go to this doctor's appointment. Oh, not a problem. I'll explain that to you. But when we explain something to somebody who's losing rational thinking skills, all they hear is accusation because I need to have rational thinking in order to analyze and understand a reason. And so when you say, Judy, you have to put your coffee down and, and you need to come and take a shower and get dressed because you have a doctor's appointment in one hour and I need to drive you. It's going to take 45 minutes. So we have to get going right now. All I'm going right to hear. There. Yeah, all I'm hearing is, I'm at fault again. Mm. What have I done wrong now? Okay, mm. so now I'm irritated, now I'm frustrated, now I'm embarrassed. And now you're going to get a stress response behavior from me. So what's the alternative approach there? Yeah, yeah. You know, if We do this all the time. We do it constantly through not understanding what it means to not have rational thinking skills. If I've lost my eyesight, let's say I... I I used to work in voc rehab, so somebody would get a, a head injury at work, mm -hmm. TBI, traumatic brain injury, and you couldn't lose your eyesight literally overnight from a TBI. So let's say I've lost my eyesight to a traumatic brain injury, and my husband says, oh, Judy, that's okay. Here, um, I'm going to turn your head, and then I'm going to point. See, now you can see it, right? Because you've always <laughs> seen this stuff before. Just look where I'm pointing. This is precisely what we do to our loved ones who are experiencing dementia when they're losing rational thinking. We do it all the time. We say, oh, well, let me explain it. I'll use shorter words. I'll give you mm. a simpler reason. I'll say it louder. I'll say it slower. And we think that's going to give the person rational thinking back so that they can once again understand an explanation. And mm. they're, they're not becoming crazy. It's very, very specific. I was going to say, it's, it's like responding to somebody in a language that they don't speak. It is, exactly. And wondering why they're not understanding you. Right. That's exactly right. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey Barlant. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back, and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares, where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Aged Care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here, because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Maury, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, <laughs> Daniela. I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Maury. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week, and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. But I always tell caregivers the three most frustrating losses, the three most frustrating things I will lose with my rational thinking when I'm experiencing dementia. The first is cause and effect. That's a rational thinking skill. But all human beings begin using that skill at birth. And so nobody thinks about what it means to live life without it. Hmm. But if I've lost the ability to see cause and effect, and you and I are standing inside and it's 70 degrees in the living room, and you say to me, Judy, look out the window. It's snowing out there. You need to put on your coat before we go get in the car. 
I'll probably look out the window if you're pointing that direction and I'll say, yeah, snowing out there. Hmm. And you say, okay, put on your coat. And I'm like, I'm not cold. No. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm losing vocabulary and language skills with, because that is also a part of my rational thinking, I likely am just going to say no. And this does not mean that dementia has made me crazy or has changed my personality or has caused me to become irritable and, and cranky. That's not what it means. What it means is I'm standing in a 70 degree living room and I cannot use cause and effect. So I will not understand why I should put on a coat until you say, okay, well, no worries. Do you mind if I bring your coat? You know me, I'm always cold. Mm. And I'll say, oh, okay, that'd be fine. And we'll walk out the door. And as soon as I'm outside, count it. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Three second now. That's where I live. And as soon as I'm outside, I'm going to go, hey, I'm cold. Mm. <laughs> and that's, and then you can say, oh, well, isn't that a great, good thing we brought your coat? <laughs> oh, thank you. Great. And now you've got no stress reactions. Now you have no problems. Mm. Companionship is preserved and conflict is avoided. Cause and effect and sequencing. Every time you say, hey, go put your shoes and socks on, we need to get going. You've just told me to do two things, actually three. And, and you've told me in the wrong order. You know, I actually had a client who, whose husband said, okay, honey, put on your shoes and socks. I'll be right back. And she did her best. She put on one of the shoes and then she got one of the socks and she kept trying to put it over the shoe. Hmm. You know, and, and this is, we constantly set people up to fail just because we don't understand what we're saying. We haven't thought about it. Is the problem there not saying put your socks on, then put your shoes on? Right. Yeah. Don't, don't require that I sequence. Just ask me to do one thing. Hmm. It's like, Hey, honey, can you put your socks on? Sure. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay, how about shoes? Can you put your shoes on? Yeah, sure. You know, and that way you're not setting me up to fail. Mm. Um, can, but, can you speak a little bit more to, this is, this is really great and the, these examples are great. I wonder if you can give us a few more of how you would get around the accusational tone or, or however that's being interpreted. Can you give a few more examples of, of ways to communicate? Yeah, because it's really hard for us and this takes practice. So like when I'm teaching a family the Dawn Method, I, I never let them complete the course any quicker than eight weeks. But what you have to do is begin to understand and you have to internalize that if you give an, an explanation, your companion will not understand it. It's as if you've suddenly switched into Swahili or Russian. And they're not going to get the point. They will not understand. So you have to think about different approaches. Okay, most people who are experiencing dementia are also experiencing anosognosia. I haven't heard of that. I know. I never hear about doctors talking about it. It's a medical term for the experience of being unable to perceive physical or cognitive disability. Mm. It happens when... When dementia affects the part of our brain that allows us to have self-knowledge, it's actually part of our rational thinking skills, being able to put two and two together and perceive that it's me, that I'm the one who's losing abilities. Mm. Um, you know, like a good example, I had that first client, my, my neighbor, 
she had lost her sense of smell early in life. I think she had chronic sinus infections and she couldn't smell anything even from very early adulthood. Hmm. Then she's in her 60s and she loses her, starts losing memory skills. And she's aware of that. She knows she's losing memory skills and she knows she's lost her sense of smell. But here's what happens. She's also losing rational thinking and she's also experiencing anosognosia because every night, dinner time, she says to herself, oh, it's five o'clock, time to make dinner. She gets some potatoes, peels them, puts, cuts them up, puts them in a pot of water, puts a pot of water in the stove, turns it on high. She looks at it for maybe 30 seconds and then she says, I guess I'll go read the newspaper. She leaves, she goes in the other room, and she has no sense of smell. She has no memory skills. And so that pot will boil dry mm -hmm. and melt, and she'll never know that, that the potatoes are long since charred or that fire is, is a very real danger. And so when, when I get involved with her, and I, I discover this, you know, the first time I'm in the house at supper time, she's walked away and there's a pot dry and the pot is beginning to melt and you know it's it's pretty dangerous and I said to her I said um, Mary we'll say we'll call her Mary I said Mary you know you don't have a sense of smell and she's like yes I know I know that I told you that and I said well and you know your memory's not very good I know I, I that's I'm, I'm really good at being forgetful and I can't smell anything and I said but that don't you see what that means that means and I'm asking her to use rational thinking. Hmm. That's why your pots keep boiling dry. It's not safe. We, we really should be cooking together. And she looks at me and she says, don't tell me that. I've been cooking since before you were born. I'm old enough to be your grandmother. <laughs> so she absolutely could not comprehend that having lost a physical skill as well as a cognitive skill resulted in danger. And, and so this is why it's so important that we meet people where they are mm. and understand which skills they are not able to use anymore, which skills are fading away. If they can't understand, if they can't, can't comprehend that they are actually losing cognitive skills and or physical skills, they'll constantly put themselves at risk. But when we try to force them to accept care, they end up becoming really angry and paranoid. Mm. And that paranoia, that's one of the most dangerous things that occurs and one of the saddest things that occurs with dementia. That, you know, it's totally avoidable if you understand that um, they are not able, you know, this isn't about being in denial. This is, this is a person who is not able to perceive, yeah. to comprehend that they're losing skills. So you have to find a different way to provide care. And I call it caregiving by stealth. And we would, you know, with our clients who had anosognosia as well as dementia, we would just provide, there'd be friends. You know, they, these friends would just sort of happen by. And I, I remember one of my clients, she, a potential client, her daughter hoped that um, we'd be able to provide caregivers for her. And she was living, this woman was living alone with three little dogs and she could not comprehend that she needed help. And of course the dogs are making all kinds of messes and it was really unsanitary in the house and she wasn't eating, she wasn't bathing and she thought she was. And 
So what we did, I had one of my caregivers who also had a little dog just show up, just walk up to the front door and ring the bell with her dog in hand. And this woman, she she answered the door and she looks at my caregiver and, and the caregiver says, hi, I'm Heike. This is my little dog, Fluffy. Oh, I see you have little dogs too. Why don't we take the dogs for a walk? And this woman had no rational thinking skills and no memory skills. So to her, that did not sound strange at all. She mm. just saw another woman, another small dog, looks like a friend, and off they went. And so mm. that's how we got a caregiver into her house. But nobody ever said care. Heike was always very careful that you know, she was offering to do things with her friend. And they did many things together. And Heike spent lots of time at her friend's house. And that it was never a matter of providing care because this woman couldn't comprehend it or that she needed help. Mm. And so now you've met me on my own terms. And now we can do this together. And, and boy, most of the time we're talking about, you know, most caregivers are spouses or children or their younger paid hired professional caregivers and being instructive or directive never works well in any of those three relationships. Mm. You know, you think about a married couple, if, if the caregiver spouse suddenly starts being the one in charge, you're going to have trouble. Mm. That changes the entire dance of the relationship instantly. And you're going to get pushback. If it's a child telling a parent and the child is trying to be in charge, not going to go over well. And the same for these young paid caregivers, it's not going to go over well. And, and what happens when we have these relationships where one person is in charge and the other person is supposed to just fall in line and do what they're told is there's constant conflict and, and it's largely due to the loss of autonomy and, and dignity. And if we're talking about somebody who's our elder, if that's what you're doing, if that is the relationship and the interactions, you will have trouble. And it's exceedingly costly to say to our elders, you have no dignity, meaning you have no choice and you have no autonomy. I'm in charge. So, so having relationships like that is we are setting ourselves up to fail not just the person who's experiencing dementia. And so when when you meet me on my own ground, then you're meeting me as a teammate. And that's what I need. I need a companion who is with me, not a companion who's in charge of me. Mm -hmm. Hey, Judy, we've, we've spoken for, <laughs> for quite a while here. This is great. Oh, Time has just flown by. This it is, is. It's awesome. It, is there anything, I mean, I'd love to, for you to direct people towards the Dawn Method and what we've been talking about today so they can find out more for themselves. Is there a website they can visit? Yeah, yes. The, the website is thedawnmethod.com and Dawn is D-A-W-N, you know, Dementia and Alzheimer's Wellbeing Network. Uh, and I named the, you know, actually I thought I could name what I was doing and, and go back to being a private person and and uh, not... You know, and, and disappear myself, but it didn't work at all. So that I wanted, <laughs> I wanted Dawn, I wanted something positive because what I learned from my clients was so positive and so beautiful it, that for five years, I just spent 
all of my waking hours with people who were experiencing dementia. And it, in many ways, it was the best five years of my life. And since then, I've, when you go to the Dawn Method, dawnmethod.com, there's private classes for families, mostly taught by, by people that I've now certified to teach the Dawn Method. But yeah, my heart is in helping families look after their loved ones and avoid having to send somebody away to a corporate living, group living situation. Yeah, amazing. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed, so you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.